is understanding business-wise, right? Diversification is important. Redundancy is important anyways. So you shouldn't just rest your laurels on that, but also the importance of the knowledge base that is world-class manufacturing experience over there and supply chains and how those suppliers work, what their QC standards are, how their QA works. This is The Dime. Dive into the cannabis and hemp industry through trends, insights, predictions, and tangents. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of The Dime. I'm Brian Fields, and with me, as always, is Kellen Finney. And this week, we've got a very special guest, Alex Kwan, CEO and co-founder of AVD. Alex, thanks for taking the time. How are you doing today? Doing great. Happy to be on and looking forward to speaking with uh, both you, Brian, and, and, and uh, good old friend, Kellen. Yeah, there's a lot of history we're looking to uncover today. Kellen, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing really well. Really, really excited to talk to uh, Alex Kwan. Had a huge influence on me in, in the space. And, you know, I'm just really excited to talk to, to Alex. And it's just really nice that we're going to bring kind of that West Coast knowledge to, to educate you East Coasters. Hey, Brian? Yeah, I mean, listen, it's needed, right? Uh, there's a lot we're not doing, let's say, well here on the East Coast. But the one thing we are doing really well is really enjoying those West Coast brands and, and products. So uh, it's just a matter of time, though. It's just, it's just a matter. I mean, it is. I mean, it is happening now. It's just a matter of like, are we just going to accept it? Or are we just going to say, hey, we still got it here in New York? But hey, so Alex, for our listeners, unfriendly about you, can give a little background about yourself and then how you got into the cannabis space. Yeah, like, look, um, the easiest way to kind of talk it, uh, I think it's pointed out some of the other kind of media that we've done, um, but we, we've been a little bit more private about things, but. Long story short, we cut our teeth for a better part of a decade, um, eight to 10 years in Humboldt, uh, starting back in like 07, 08-ish timeline. You know, I started kind of a little project there when I had to do it. What we would do is uh, we would do some land acquisition, some land development, and worked a lot with a lot of growers, right? And so that was kind of the initial foray from a real estate perspective, and then understanding kind of how you had to develop properties, how you needed to understand kind of the different cultivation methods and how that kind of worked. And, and kind of at that time, there was a lot of, you know, it was an interesting age for cannabis at that time, just because of the amount of time that had come off of 215 and then kind of how the different areas and jurisdictions read into kind of medical cannabis and and and, and what each area would allow you to do. And, and Humboldt and the Emerald Triangle kind of, you went to never guessed it, but like it was where you know, a lot of kind of the brain trust and and knowledge and relationship with the plant, uh, the land, understanding the history within it. I think there's just an incredible amount of knowledge and information that was kind of wouldn't have known it. It just it was permeating throughout that area, you know, and Kellen can talk to you about that if he has not already from when he came at later times uh, into Humboldt, because it was just, again, all stages and ages, right? I think that'll probably be a, more of a theme during our conversation is just kind of the, the different way that time kind of passes. And then when you look back now, how different it was. So we spent a good amount of time there. And then that kind of led us to, as legalization kind of happened, um, there was an opportunity in in, in Washington State where we founded uh, SunGrown. And uh, that was really a project at that time where we really wanted to focus on kind of the derivatives of the plant, right? We really wanted to focus on you know, we, we kind of always knew that we knew the right growers, the right connections to people that can grow really good flour, you know, targeting resin, kind of go after kind of the next stages of what we felt like the future of cannabis and at least one category of consumption would go. And that, that project in Washington was really geared towards 
how do you grow something at the best cost per milligram, per milliliter, and really target two main parts, right? There was the cannabinoids and the terpenoids and kind of what you were going after from a chemical basis, but also doing it form from like a cultivation perspective, right? Here's all the different methods. Here's the different methods that existed uh, through our experiences in Northern California, from indoor to mixed light, greenhouse, you know, depths, full sun, just name it, right? There's a whole bunch of different modalities that you can use to kind of go after the type of exit, you know, product that you're going for. And, and, and I think the project in Washington really was all about understanding scale, understanding the ability to farm it, extract it, and then being able to understand kind of how it needs to be filled. And then you have to figure all this out, right? Early in cannabis, you have to, you know, in, in other industries, they allow you to be all these other things, but in, in cannabis, they actually force you to kind of do all of these things within one, under one roof, right? And so um, Washington had a different structure between being uh, on the processing and producer side versus being on the retail side. And so um, that's actually kind of, you know, during that time period, I know, I know Kellen was a big part of that when we were, we were really targeting kind of, again, the science of it, right? What actually was going on with the plant? And it was so new. I mean, there was information, but there wasn't really any testing or real, you know, quantitative data that was actually being collected from kind of the methods because it was so new, right? And there weren't people like minds like Kellen's kind of operating in the space or coming into it. So it was very new at that time. We kind of always felt that that was the bet, right? Like, you know, liquid and vapor is going to be a big part of where we go. You know, we were pretty successful, even though going through the trials and tribulations that any early cannabis company owner can talk about uh, their own, you know, battle scars, if you will. And um, that led us into kind of every kind of cartridge that you can kind of be in. And, um, you know, I, I know Kellen firsthand at times we, we went through some of these when we have failures and be like not understanding like, well, there wasn't a change in the formulation or, or what happened on the oil batch. And then we're going through the different parameters and then we're trying to get understanding from the vendor hey, like, this is a problem. They kind of like put their arms up. Like, I, I don't know. You know, or they're, they're like, oh yeah, well, just going to give you a rebate. Well, there's a lot of oil in here. It costs us a lot of money. You know, and like, now people don't like our brand. Like, there's some of these issues, right? And so that was really like one of those, the, the things that was the impetus for ABD, right? Was like, it could be done better. There were, there were not there were not people that kind of knew cannabis and knew it the way that we do and the way that we kind of approached it. Um, and then also it was such a huge part of your cogs, right? So when you're running the business, also it's like, you have 30, at that time it was like 30%, something huge, right? It, it was in, a, in this piece of hardware, this widget that came from China that you didn't understand. And I, it just, at the time, right, the different types of cartridges coming over, what the efficacy of it was, and it's tremendously advanced since then. But, um, I think that was one of the initial parts, right? Knowing that it was a big cost, there was a problem with like service or safety or understanding the products. And then third was like, they have no idea how to port this into oil that we're dealing with. Cause even as we're extracting and going through it, like even, and Kellen can tell you all about it, right? When you're running through, you know, when you, with CO2 is your initial extraction method, or if we're going to do ethanol, if we're going to even try to do any type of hash on a solventless perspective, any of these other ways, and even hydrocarbon, obviously, right? These are all the main solvent, non-solvent ways that you can kind of, or, or lighter solvent ways that you can kind of go through making the initial extraction. And so, and then it all became about the post-processing, the prep, and and, and then understanding kind of all the constituents that were coming off the plant. And then you're trying to take that, make it, figure out if it's stable, and then be able to introduce heat to it into a vessel and people are going to vaporize it, right? So there was just so many complexities that were kind of going into that. Uh, but really it just started as like, 
let's figure out if we can do this better, uh, right? And it went from working with somebody with a, you know, went from working with a trading company to a factory. Then, you know, obviously the biggest steps have always been for us growing up and through upstream in the supply chain, which has been probably one of the most crucial things because anything that's made, right? We, we, we have a very good understanding of where it's made, who, who's making it, what suppliers are, uh, and what actual uh, what's actually being done uh, to be able to kind of be assembled. And it's the, kind of the same way that you think about when you grow or when you do any type of scientific extraction. You're, there's all these components and processes that you go through for the inputs for the whole, right? And it's the same way. Any, it's not any different with these widgets, right? It's not any different with these engines and the cartridges. Uh, they're all components, 10, 11, 12 different components that have their own quality controls that come in. So, you know, I know that might be a longer part of the story, but really cut our teeth in Humboldt. It kind of sparked an idea of, of, of going after targeting liquid um, from, from a perspective of cultivating, right? Fully from growing the oil, really from a crop plant perspective, understand the cultivation methods that you're going after, go after being able to scale it, do it repeatedly, understand the chemical part of it, and then also know the kind of the, the exit products that you were really going after and how's that fit in a business model. That was really the kind of the thought process. But as we started thinking about, hey, our, our reputation or our livelihood or how well we do is based on this little engine, it become it, it was kind of a serendipitous path, right? Let's see if we can do this better. And then it kind of took off on its own, right? And then since then, it's just, here we are with, with I'm sure, other stuff that we're going to talk about. Yeah, I remember, Alex, you spent like, uh, you, Leo, and Mike probably spent months negotiating with C-Cell for like a couple pennies, yeah. right? But those pennies were huge yeah. in terms of like the volume. And then the light just clicked and you're like, why, why don't I just make bait pens myself. Like, I'm just going to go do the cartridge thing. <laughs> so, hold, hold on a second. So, Alex, I understand conceivably like the idea and the origin, right? Like, you're, you're, you're large scale, you're understanding the unit economics, you recognize there's an opportunity here. Is the initial goal to try to help supplement your internal products? Are you trying to serve the wider market? Take us through like the internal strategy of what the original goal is. Was it just to be more self-sufficient? Or was the real plan was like, hey, like, if we knock this out of the park, obviously in the long term, you can provide other else. Was the short term? What was the thinking in the early days? It was just serendipitous, to be honest. Like, I mean, at that time, Kellen, I think you were starting to think about doing your consulting. I think you were probably yeah. starting, you were going off on kind of doing some other things because like we had grown how that company had grown really well, but it's like you're a cap, you're limited, right? Washington's a very different animal, right? And so yeah. um, and I know that Kellen knew that too. We always talk about like all these other places and some of the things because in, in any type of company that you have friends and family and the stuff that you're doing, you're self-funded, like there's a lot of, you wear a lot of hats, right? Sometimes like, well, shit, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to go do something else, right? So there, there is some of that, right? And, and people have to grow at their own stage and age, right? Where they're trying to go. And so I think at that time for us, we did have early, you know, partners in our business and, and people that had experience over there. Right? And so there was, as kind of these opportunities came to us, it, it didn't start as like, oh, I got this great epiphany as a new business. And Hey, Colin, we're going to get into hardware manufacturing. That was never like, there's no way, right? It doesn't work like that. It's, it's, uh, it's, that's why I look, one of the things you'll hear me say too is I think the plant chooses its stewards and it kind of takes its path, right? I think <laughs> I can't explain it any other way. The plant's been really good to me, my friends, my family, all the people around us. And I think a lot of areas that it does good in, right? And so in this scenario, I don't take it any different. It was just kind of one of those things is that like, all right, let's verify this. Let's see if with our knowledge that this can be improved, we can control some of these aspects because that was when a big push on heavy metals was happening too. Like Cat 3 was just coming in into, into California. So Vapegate, I think it was right 
right before it happened. But like all this stuff kind of was percolating, right? Carts were becoming like this big momentum. And at the end of the day, Seesaw S'more was like, the, they were the 800 pound gorilla, right? They're first to market, had a monopoly share. That's But they had a product that was significantly better than what the what what was before that. Because remember, Kel, we're in those stainless steel ones. Like, like with the little silicone wick or whatever. Yeah, those little two dots. Yeah. So, and then before that was like these little just whip plastic ones that were cheap, right? So they did step up from that. But really, Brian, to answer your question, it was like, hey, you know, again, unit economics, right? That became an important aspect. Can we get a better price? Is it reliable? Is it something that we can consistently do well? Because that's always the fear too. You, I'm sure other listeners and people that have gotten products from China or other, other types of trading companies and or factories that call themselves these things, but really they're just kind of assembling products and selling you shit, right? Or, or, or they're reject products and putting them together and selling it to you. And it might be good on the first round or second round, but is it going to be good on the third, fourth, sixth, seventh, and eighth round, right? Which is super important, right? Are they going to do the bait and switch? Are they switching out materials on you? These are all super important parts when you're actually starting to do that. It's the same thing from the plant touching, non-plant touching, even business side, or even people just do what you say, right? So in, a, in our mind, it's always about consistency. So um, that was really one of the questions, right? Is can we make this consistent? Is this a product that's going to be better on our, on our bottom line? And can we influence tweaking this thing, tuning it properly for the type of extracts that we're running? We've been very lucky to have a lot of different types of extraction artists within our house that were helping us. Kellen is, I mean, you're speak, you have one of your partners is one of those people, right? That helped us very, very early in, in standardizing, standardizing a lot of the processes. And so that was an important part because knowing that if that was possible and it can grow, then great. And that's literally, that's all it was. It was a side hustle. It was just like, all right, cool. We'll make some extra money on the carts for ourselves. We'll have some more, more free cash flow to make some investments into, you know, branding or, or uh, another place or, or maybe some other thing. And it just, it just kind of took on a life of its own. And we just had a lot of good relationships that we could validate, not only ourselves, but we could validate with others. Um, I think within one degree of us, we're probably well connected to a lot of people in the space. And, um, and I think um, that was what really helped, you know, I would say just kind of the organic growth that it took off on its own. Sure. And I think that's so important to highlight too, right? Like when you're getting started, you you kind of had a target of like, hey, let, let's try to set this up like this. Because I mean, your team has an intricate understanding of the plane and the specific nuances that come with cannabis, not necessarily e-cigarettes. And I think that might've been a critical difference for some of the hardware providers, because as I've heard you say before, the, the hardware is there to accentuate the brand and the product not necessarily take away from it, but to there to, to prop it up. And I think that's a critical difference that most people don't recognize is that when they get a product that doesn't work as well, sometimes they're pointing the finger. So kind of getting started on that, do you think the difference was that C-Cell didn't understand the the tiny nuances with cannabis? Or how do you think that that separated out? I mean, they're going to probably listen to this, so I don't want to give them too much. No <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like, look, that that's that's a part of it, right? It's authenticity. Then day, I'm not... I'm not knocking what any of those companies do. I don't have anything negative to say about it. Look, they, they're, they're doing what they got to do. What we like to focus on is ourselves, as in like, this is what we need to improve. This is what we how we need to carry ourselves within the company with each other. But ultimately, we serve the customer. Ultimately, we serve the client. And it's all about the client because if the client is making good oil, clean, good oil at good prices, and they got great hardware going out with it, then it's just more access for people to experience cannabis. At the end of the day, everyone should have access to clean, good cannabis, right? Because it should be their choice. 
in one way or another. If everybody had access to good, clean cannabis, hash, rosin, flour, vapes, whatever you want to call it, that is, you know, people are, have levels of like their snobbiness or whatever they 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 like, right? I I I I have a certain preference on certain styles as well. It's like if everyone had access to that, right, the world would just be a, a less angry place, right? It just would. It happens all the, sometimes when it's like trying to put the kids size. Like, guy, you just got to get high, and then, then it's all good. <laughs> they can run around, they can jump, they can do what they want, right? But if not, you're trying to hit that time, you get really upset, right? So, look, I think when it comes to C-Cell, they had an inherent advantage of being first. But again, they come from e-cigarettes. And I'm not saying that's bad or wrong or all these other things. I'm just saying it's just, it's different than us. We're born in cannabis, right? And so for us, our purpose is also driven around that. Right? It's like, I, we consume too, man. I'm like, I don't want shit in our cartridges. You know what I mean? Like, I want fire rosin. I want, I want fire liquid live, right? That's, I want the dopest strains. I want all that. I want the complexity. I want to know on the front end if it tastes a certain way and then when it tapers off, it's going to do something. I got, it's the same thing, right? It's all driven from that and making sure that it's accessible, making sure that this makes sense that we're actually solving problems. It doesn't make sense if we're not solving a problem for somebody. You know, so like if, if we weren't doing that, then we shouldn't even be around, right? So I think I think the thing that we try to focus on more than anything is, is, is the relationship with the company and the person that we're working with, right? And then are we adding value to you, right? Is, is there some way that we can add value? And it's going to come with, sure, it could be rooted in the plant touching knowledge and doing this, but it's also like, okay, what are you doing with your extract? How are you running? And Callan, that's always been tough for me because our whole team can't do that, but like, it's it's a tough spot because Kellen knows this, we we know a lot of things, especially about extraction methods, know how steps that people are skipping that they shouldn't be skipping, and that's why they're having issues. There's a lot of that, right? There's a lot of nuance in in that aspect that goes to having reliability on on their end product, not just one part of it, which is the hardware as well. So this is balance of of education and doing that, but I, and 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 what I would say is that like. I think the opportunity that we have is because CSL did that, right? It's because they were open in the market, did make an advancement, price really high, did all these things. Great. You know, I, I'm, I'm grateful for all those things because we wouldn't have a company otherwise or have a position for us to go out and add more value in. So at what point, Alex, did you kind of, because like in the beginning stages, your resources are in two different places, right? Like, when did you decide that you're like, hey, I need both feet over here and I'm just going to trust the team over there to do do their thing? How was that transition? Because I wasn't there for that. You know what I mean? Yeah, I walk. Kind of, <laughs> I know exactly where I was sitting at that, the previous Seattle house. Um, <laughs> I know exactly well, where I was. I remember. Looking at the, looking I re- across I, at the yeah, I, re- I remember because like... It, it look a lot of things. I think business wise, a lot of listeners may not know that as well. Like I, I mentally have a lot strong philosophy around business and a lot of mentors around us, right? And a lot of people that have, uh, you know, dare I say, it, protect me from myself, right? And so, um, you know, have structure so that so so that you can you can kind of meander around and create other opportunities and think about that, right? But you got to have an incredible amount of trust. Uh, you have to have an incredible amount of rigor in place. Uh, so that you 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 kind of follow the fundamentals of business, right? Good cash flow, understand your balance sheet, right? Have good EBITDA, like don't have dead assets, don't have liabilities that are greater than your assets. Uh, these are some things that you own versus things that you owe, right? And sometimes people lose sight of that, right? And how that needs to work and its fundamental basis. Obviously, you know the folks that we're talking about. And I, and I think what happened, Kellen, was at the time, it, it was really, you know, the structure that 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 
business endeavor prior to AVD was really about like, how do I build it with others? Right? How do I build something bigger? How do I do it with friends? And how do we how do we empower others to kind of make it theirs and grow from it, right? Um, and so it was just a different stage and age of my life at that time as well. And I think um, with, with AVD, it was kind of the side thing. And in a very short period of time, it did a tremendous amount of sales, right? Like I remember like, for six weeks, I was like, all right, I'm going to work on this from like 8 p.m. to 2 a.m., right? And you know that I don't say about this work constantly. Yeah. Right? So some people just don't really understand that like I work 20 hours a day. Just, just, <laughs> I just can't shut this thing off at times, right? And so um, that's why I need to smoke weed. Um, so, <laughs> so I remember it was like six weeks, right? And 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 we did, I forgot what it was. We did like one, six or two, some over a million, like, couple, like almost a couple million in sales, right? And I was just like, I, I don't know we could ignore this thing man <laughs> that, that was kind of that was kind of literally the combo They're like nope we shouldn't ignore this and so um you know in a lot of in a lot of ways it's just very fortunate because it's like hey you guys it was already kind of set up for that way right i mean they already, already ran everything anyways colin you knew yeah. that right? yeah so sure. um it was just really like hey i'm gonna you know scratch my entrepreneurial itch and i'm gonna go see kind of what can happen here and if it works it works it doesn't we'll we'll we'll, we'll look at other things and I've always kind of viewed it from a, a from a platform perspective on a lot of these other aspects, right? So um, it was a great stage of of time, right? Of building that up with friends and because my a lot of my roles in land development, right? I, I we recreated land there that was I know at that time no one had done before the speed with the county and like terraforming the land, a city's worth of power, fourteen miles of underground pipe, all. License zero to sixty employees. Like you know the whole story, Kelly. You were there, right? Two harvests, zero in less than ten months, right? That's just unheard of for all the things. License in both places and doing all that, right? And so, that was a tremendous task, right? That happened, and I'm glad that we documented it. So one day we could show people, like I say, this is real. This happened. We we built this thing, and when when we had snow up to here, and and we did it in record time. So um, that was that was a fun fun period, but. Um, you know, the, there were better people there to run that thing than me, right? And so that's that's what allowed it. And I think um, we all share the same type of core values and culturally for kind of how we carry ourselves as humans and what we do purpose-wise for the sp- in the space. But um, I think AVD was just kind of one of those things that like over time just took more of the attention. It just kind of, it, w- it was not planned. It was not like, and sometimes I try to tell other entrepreneurs that, right? Is that like, hey, sometimes the things that aren't planned are the things that have the greatest success. And it's crazy, right? Because you just it just comes from un- unexpected places, you know? And but so that that to answer the question, Colin, the resources, it, w- it was tough to help them back and but like I I was we had some other ones that that with working with the teams in China and then um some of the team was helping on the back end and then I brought someone in it pretty pretty fast. Uh, and we just got super lucky with that hire. He's a chief operating officer, Michael, and, and he's speaking on other things. But uh, that that was that was important getting lucky, right? In a lot of ways, we got lucky for it to work. But we were prepared to take advantage of the opportunity in the sense that like, we had structures in place at the other org. It didn't really, you know, the market something is like, if, if some of us were leave, then it would go like this, that'd be a problem, right? But even if it dips like this, and it goes up, that means you have good structure in place, right? And 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 you saw that it continued to yeah. grow on its own and on their own. I mean, it's fascinating, right? You're sitting there, you've got this hobby that's accelerating pretty aggressively to a point where you're really starting to think like, hey, like, Got to put a little gasoline on this fire and see what it can do. So, what are what are those first steps? Are you looking to scale uh, from a production standpoint? Are you looking to scale your your sales team? Like, where are you in this? You understand that your Washington team is moving well, and now you're like, all right, like I'm gonna I'm gonna let this rock. 
what's the first step? What was the first step for ABD? Yeah, like when you're when you recognize that this wasn't a hobby anymore, this needed to put a little gasoline on it to see if like you can really take this to where you. It's you, getting you, the right people. It's getting the right people. It's finding the right people that already he had, and then uh, think about what the pieces that you need to do next. You know, I, I think a lot of things that companies fail to do well at times is their org charts or or the roles within their org charts are six month six months outdated. Uh, I, I we we try to keep ones ahead of time right? Six, 12 months in the future so that you know what you're filling into. Otherwise, I'm wearing that hat or Kellen's wearing that hat or Brian, you're wearing that hat or or Johnny over here is wearing that hat or Michael's wearing that hat or someone is, right? And so you're really trying to get to a point where you need to alleviate that bandwidth, right? Because there's just, there's only so much that you can execute. And then once you're understanding that, then then you have a structure to kind of build upon, right? But obviously sales is first. I mean, it's the tip of the spear, Right. Supply and, and making sure that those things are the QCs are strongly in place. It, it, look, it was a helpful buffer that we knew our own volume. It was a helpful buffer to know other friends and their volume, right? It was a helpful buffer to understand that and then like being like, okay, well, what do we need to do to establish, you know, stronger partnerships when it comes to, you know, uh, making sure that manufacturing lines are running, right? Or, or what that means for supply chains. And so there, there was a lot of the earlier stages are very, very nitty gritty versus today, you know, uh, where it's a lot more strategic, but yet has some of the same kind of brute force that you need to have. But I think the first steps that you always need to think about is who am I going to do this with? Otherwise, you're you're just signing yourself up for another job and then another job and then another job, right? And so you can't do multiple jobs. And so you got to really start identifying what the next piece is because there's people that love to do certain things that you hate to do. It's in their DNA. They just love it. They get, you know, you ask, you ask a certain salesman to go balance a, a spreadsheet, they'll be like, shoot me now. This is the horrible thing, right? You ask a finance person, hey, go on a cold call sales call. I'm going to slap you in a the room. They'll be like, that's, they'll, they'll literally get visibly, you know, distraught. But yet some people just, they, they thrive in that, right? So you just, it's finding the right people. It's all about the right people. And it's all about the right culture that you're going to create to help achieve the targets. Talk about building that supply chain too and the importance of being diversified and, and understanding how critical that was in order to help your team kind of build up the sustainable success as you're always thinking about for the long term. I think that also has, has to do with like be able to communicate with our clients well, right? I think that's that's key. And, and uh, again, we could speak plant knowledge, right? I, sure, we could speak demand planning as well. But that's some of the stuff that a lot of these companies don't know, right? Is that like, hey, yeah, we're going to double, triple, they're going to show you a growth map of this. And it's like, you go see their sites. Like there's, they don't even have the extraction capacity to do that. Or they don't have, they don't have the biomass to come down with it. It's like, all right, well, then you're going to go compete and buy biomass against some of these other toll processors that triple your size. You know I mean? What gives you the buying power? So I'm not asking that, but this is what's going through my mind, right? And our, our team's mind is just to understand kind of, okay, well, what, what's the actual fulfillment capacity, you actually have to be able to do that, right? And so um, I think supply chains, not only on that side, but this side also matters as well. I think it's developed over time, man. You know, um, the importance of diversifying is obviously clear. <laughs> I think one way or another in any prudent business, you should. Uh, but I, I'm going to make a real clear distinction. This is not me like saying something negative about China because like in one and the same, like I, I look at C-Cell S'more as their own company and their own entity, even our other competitors, right? I don't have Again, nothing negative to say. People are operating their picture. They have employees. They have livelihood. They're trying to make business. How they go about that on their own integrity is on them. 
right? What we do is different and we view that way. And that's how we're going to always operate. And I, that's just, just a part of our DNA. And, um, and when it comes to like growing supply chains with China, like China's important. Like I think there's geopolitical risks and there's a lot of that stuff, you know, but business-wise, a lot of businesses have a lot of good relationships with China, right? And I think um, if you met the people that are, you know, a, a part of our organization and what exists, it's, I mean, it's remarkable, man. It's tremendous, the amount of dedication, work, and love that that goes into everything that we do. And so it's hard for me to be like, kind of just talk about it one way, because I know the work that goes in, right, on the other side. And so the importance of that is, is understanding business-wise, right? Diversification is important. Redundancy is important anyways. So you shouldn't just rest your laurels on that. But also the importance of the knowledge base that is world-class manufacturing experience over there and supply chains and how those suppliers work, what their QC standards are, how their QA works, like what's the scrap rate? How's that coming into what that means specifically for us, right? And 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 and, and the components that are of that go into our assembly. So a lot of these kind of parts also have nuances within their supply chain. So let's say that you're an extractor and you're, I'm going to go get some offtake from somebody. Well, it's like, okay, am I getting B buds? Am I getting trim? Am I getting A's? Like, what am I getting? Whole plant? Has it been frozen? How has it been prepped? How is it, has it been dried? What's it? Like, there's so much that goes into their raw material prep work, right? So it's kind of, I'm trying to make it synonymous in, 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 in both sides of it, right? And I think for us, it just became apparent that it was necessary for us to really start thinking about somewhere in Southeast Asia, separately from China. As we know that we're also seeing this as, as a part of the mandates from other packaging companies or, or, or e-cigarette companies. Just like there is a larger push around diversifying the manufacturing risks, obviously, that incorporated with the overture of kind of the politics with China. But I don't want to go political in that regard. I think it's just a prudent business thing to do in general. And I think with the level of technology that we've kind of grown into in our processes from different ways to automate, different aspects of it, different parts of assembly, also understanding different parts of supply chains and where globally, uh, that's a part of our initiative, right? Our initiative is about not only uh, taking the, it, it's really looking at the global supply chain and obviously a lot of the, the know-how and, and, and IP, I would say, right, on that side of stuff is in China, right? And they, they obviously know how to make things very efficiently quickly at the cost and to spec if you have the right type of team and people in place. So it's understanding that and being able to augment that as we think about ways to have a diversified supply chain, not only in Southeast Asia, but dare I say onshore, right? Somewhere here close to us. And I know some people that know me well, that's a part of where, where my head goes in a lot of ways, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of hurdles to do that properly. But it's, again, it's all about safety and reliability, not only for the client, but for the customers to know like, hey, these guys have thought about this because it's not it's not just us, right? It's in, in a lot of ways, it has to do with, in a lot of ways, we're service all the clients, right? So any brand that's going out there and making sure they don't have, if they have oil, well, what are they going to do? So it's our job to make sure that we're, it's not only just like, yeah, there's a lot of importance that we have on the China relationship on us, especially for how we work together. But at the other side of it, it's like, make no mistake about it. It's like, yeah, are we, we're, we're being Chinese, but I want to make them American too, right? There's there's a lot of these aspects that we have to do to make sure that this type of supply chain has a stable future. And I think that's a lot of, from a diversification of supply chain, reliability perspective, that's always been on my de-risking, the geopolitical aspects that could happen or could not happen that are out of our control that have to do with China, right? 
I think that's so important. I think so many in the cannabis industry are always kind of figuring out what, you know, what do I need to do today? And what I really enjoyed about kind of researching you and your team is that you're always thinking four or five steps ahead. Just like we started in Washington with the idea of ABD. Now you're thinking from a global standpoint, you know, your brand and reputation is critical to help the industry. And they're relying on you to provide this hardware because if they have oil and they don't have charts, they can't do anything. And that's a, that's a critical part of the supply chain from a trust standpoint that your team is yeah. providing. Absolutely. And I, and I think that both of you know that. We've just seen how much more vapor has grown. And look, it just we're just scratching the surface too. There's so many other partnerships that we have going on around like new heating cores that have to do with some, kind of some crazy tech, some nano stuff. All this other <laughs> you want to release any like, right oh, now? I'm just, no, I'm just like, it's like way over my head, right? Some of the stuff, I'm like, oh my God, they're thinking like, like that. Like that's tech they put in drones. And so there's a lot of cool stuff. But as everyone knows, there's a difference between R&D and invention. And versus like refinement and adding value to to, to clients, right? So careful about what type of company you are. Uh, at the end of the day, we're, we're one that makes you know make sure that we walk our talk and we we like to make sure that we're consistently reliable for our customers. Then they know that we're rooted in understanding flavor in the cannabis plant. Really, all of our decision making really all comes from like plant first client client and plant first, right? It's like how is this working, right? Because trust me, no matter. Yeah, we wish everyone was just smoking live resin and resin, but that's just not the truth, right? It's just, and we've had to like learn ourselves. Right? It's like, okay, we got to put this, we got to put an engine out there that puts out va- higher vapor, right? And so that's we've done that, right? And, and again, this is a part of ad- adapting and 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 listening to your customers and being able to 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 give them what they're they're asking for, right? And then being able to kind of create future value for them. How much are you balancing like innovation in terms of like coming out with new heating devices while kind of still maintaining the kind of core carts that you know are like the bread and butter of the business? You know what I mean? Yeah. So good question, Kellen. Um, so there's there's like I think what the ITC has done, like I will, I'm sure we'll talk about there if people know about that and stuff, but it's like what what it's done is to shine a light on on our IP heavily, right? Because of the defense that need to happen and everything that occurred with s'more um, and just kind of that action. And what happened throughout taking a comprehensive view globally around what it is, what not only our space, but what we are doing and what we're trying to do, we got very fortunate in a team that was built around it, which I believe is the strongest team in the world when it comes to IP strategy, right? And so like, I, it, if you look at their track record, you look at their pedigree, you know, I'm like, yeah, that, that, that's pretty impressive, right? And so um, I think when we think about our moats and the things that we build, I think inadvertently out of out of all these things, they've created a a, a leader in, in understanding how to create, protect, uh, enforce, and commercialize IP in a good way, right? To make sure that people are making sound decisions on a new form factor that they might go out with, or a new or, or a new device that might have an ecosystem around it, right? Or or other aspects that might view a different part of a category that they might be selling into that they otherwise would not have been before. So for us, I think there's two lanes. To that, Kellen, where 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 I think on the on the innovation side from 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 R and D and invention, heating cores and doing that, it's just a long validation period, right? I think what we because we were all about reliability and consistency and obviously delivering for customers, I think our validation period is probably super extensive, right? And and we want to understand that it's you're not going to have issues with it, and so um, I think on 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 creation side. Yeah, you might have five, 10 different ideas, but maybe only one of them are good. But spending your time creating that is very different than saying, hey, here's some other existing tech that people are bringing to us because they want to 
commercialize it or they don't have the supply chain to do it or they don't have the access to the customer base to do it, well, we can work with that, see how to modernize it with AVD tech, right? How are some of the things that we can do with it? And maybe that's a route that we can take something quicker to market and supply to a customer that they might want exclusively or something next, right? So there's there's a part that we do in-house, and there's a part that we do with partners, and there's a part with inbound, right? From an R&D perspective. And I think that's important because that's some of our calling cards, right? Our calling card is about we could scale manufacturing reliably, diversify it, and it be consistent at scale, right? Which is all about reliability for cartridges, especially when you're spending that much, you know, what's going on for a client. The other side of one of our greatest strengths is understanding the customer. We know we know what's going, we kind of know the space, we kind of know what you might be going through, what not, what type of stage struggle you're going through. If you're having some oxidation issues, if you're going, I mean, I, you know that we can go down a, a, a rabbit hole of different conversations that are going on, how they're filling, not filling, and all those aspects, right? So there's that aspect. And then, and then realistically, kind of what happened with the IP side of stuff is really, it's opened up this whole other strength of ours, right? That is, it, it, it was something that were kind of, you were just running fast. You didn't have to think about that. But now it's like, it's a part of every strategic item. It's a part of like, hey, not so much as a tip of the spear, let's say how others have tried to use it, right? I'm not going to name who, but others have tried to use it, right? I think it's more so you're trying to build moats and fences, right? To protect your business if you're going to work with other people, right? So if we're making a project, you can own this. Let's commercialize it properly, right? So there's there's ways that we could start, again, adding value, right? Is that going to give them a product that has enough runway for a year or two? And then they're into another product. Whatever that might may look like, right? Uh, and obviously, all of that then then helps inform some of the some of the regulatory stuff that we want to kind of move more into, but um, which has been super important. So again, I think from an R and D perspective, innovation side, I think there's multiple tracks, but really there's the invention side that like takes ground up build and doing that, and then there's the other like some premium customizations and alterations that we can make, but again, have a, have kind of a menu of items that you're doing. So it's like kind of standard to premium, then to like a hyper bottom-up type of full build. Does that make sense? And they, have, they all have different timelines, obviously, you know? 100%. So just slightly switching gears to the issue with CSEL. Can you kind of set up for our listeners, you know, when the origin of that happened, and then we can kind of go into some of the specifics and then the result that just was announced? I think it's October. October of 21, they brought the suit on. ITC is International Trade Commission. Basically, it has to do with importing of products to the domestic industry of the United States. Essentially, uh, S'more, you know, brought in action. S'more C-Cell, so C-Cell's parent S'more, brought in action against like 30-some-odd different vapor companies uh, that they're... There's three major patents that they're saying they're alleging they're infringing on. And the ITC is really to go after... It's they call it the rocket docket. There's no extensions. There's a certain period of time. You go through discovery, you know, expert witnesses, depositions, then it goes to trial, then they have an initial determination, then a final one, then a presidential period, and then it's put out. So that's kind of the, the, the speed of which they go through. And what they're trying to do is establish domestic and technical industry. And then that there was actual infringement going on on their asserted patents. And, and then they would issue technically an exclusion order, right? Or general exclusion order. So technically, if they had succeeded, what would have happened to the cannabis industry would have been no more cartridges, just more. And then you thought their pricing was bad before, they were just going to price that, right? You mean monopoly, right? Yes, exactly. You know, there was obviously not just us, there were some others among the group that that did defend. Um, I just, I think they all know 
they all know and, and we all know like who carried a significant shoulder burden of that and who the main target of that was. And so um, we've heard it and not so many words from people that have settled with them. Also others have told us. So look, I'm not trying to toot any horn to doing that. I'm just, I'm, I'm just saying there was a tremendous amount of work with that legal team to go out and do that. And, and it was remarkable. And it was, uh, it was really good to see the industry kind of, a lot of people don't know, but that was, we, we felt like it was a responsibility. I, if I told you guys a dollar amount numbers, which I won't, you'd be like, how the hell did you do that? Right. So it's, uh, it's, it's one of those things that I think was, uh, was make or break. It wasn't, it wasn't even a choice in our mind, if that makes sense. Right. It wasn't like, Oh, we're going to do it. It's like, no, we have to go do this. Right. And so, and I think, I, I think maybe they underestimated, um, maybe our, our resolve in our, Alex, maybe they underestimated Alex Kwan probably. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know about that I don't, you know it's just like but uh i don't know a lot of people that know me right and so uh, <laughs> did it start out in itc court and when you first got that notice were you like fuck off like what's the what's the thought process because obviously when you get that notice you recognize that it's not going to be uh, a seamless road ahead right there's there's I like mean, world-time well, ceo yeah i mean yeah we had some other shit going on at that time with some sure. previous, you know, partners and, and things that we had. So we were already in wartime. This is, I think this was all, I think all this happened at once. Like that. Yeah. The IT, I think when the ITC came, it was, it was, it was more so like, what is this? You know, because it was like a, I forgot what it was. It was huge. I was like, what is this thing? Right. I don't even understand what this thing is. And we had been in other lawsuits before and some of these other things. Right. And so it's just like, I was just like, okay, keep cool. Don't get all worked up. You know what I mean? I'm like, ask some questions. What does this mean? Does this have anything to do with tomorrow or next week or not? Right. And so um I, I sometimes again, I gotta, I gotta protect me from myself, right? Cause you know, I it's, there, there's there's sometimes it, it could get a little intense, right? So yeah, man, I, I think I think when it happened, it was it was gather information understand what we need to do. And I think that's kind of one of the things that we do well, at least I, I don't know where it comes from or whatnot. And maybe Kellen has seen that before is that like when things get really, really hard, when it, when it gets really stressful, that's when I feel like I am the most calm. That is when I'm, I can actually think and I can go through what sequences of what need to happen and where, where, where our risks may lie. Right. And I think at that time, with all the other things going on, there was just so much, we were just kind of already in this mode to like, all right, well, well, what else is going to happen tomorrow? Right? Well, what else is going to happen? And so I think we were prepared for that. And it's kudos to the team. It's kudos to our management team to be able to keep their head down. Because, dude, like big lawsuits can really be debilitating. Like it could take focus away from people. Do I have a job? Do I have this? It's like, there's a lot of stuff, right? And then there's a lot of noise now, right? Especially like their distributors. They were loving it, right? Trying to send out emails to our, our, to our clients and this and the other. And so and it's expensive. Yeah, exactly. Right. So there's a lot of these unknowns. And so I just have an incredible amount of respect and gratefulness and appreciation for just our team and their resolve and like the trust that exists. They just siloed down. Hey, I'm going to trust that they're handling. I'm going to trust they're handling what they're doing. And everyone kind of knew what to go do and tackled it. And that's, I mean, we picked our head up after a period of time and we had grown during that stage. We grew the most it had ever grown during that stage. Right. While having like a lot of these headwinds against us. And so, again, another testament to the question you asked earlier, hey, how'd you start? It's like people, man. It's all driven by people, right? All these things, relationships. You don't do business with, you don't do business with Coca-Cola or Nike. You do business with somebody that's a person, a human being, 
right? And so um, to me, that that means a lot. And I think that's that's what uh, helped us through that stage. And back to explaining what the ITC is, basically what came out of all of that was the initial determination came out that um, their one of their patents was uh, unenforceable due to inequitable conduct, which is a whole different frame that exists within it. And then the other two were uh, non-infringing. And so that's important. You can kind of read the ID. I don't want to keep talking about that because I don't want to throw shade where it doesn't need to be thrown. It's a whole different animal. I'll tell you that offline. <laughs> um, but like final determination just came out, which is huge because it's really set it in stone. That's why we're talking about it. Like if it was during like initial determination to hand them final and well, everyone's like talking and this, that, and the other with that, that may in a small way have maybe created some issues, but it hadn't. Um, and, and final came out. And, and I think um, we're just waiting kind of the, the last periods of, of, of the process and then we'll see where they go from here, right? We'll see where 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 they try to take it and or what they're trying to do. Um, I understand that competition is, is important, but uh, we don't like unfair competition. So at the end of the day, I think I'll take our team and what we do and our knowledge and, and, the, and the access points that we have against anybody, right? And so um, I, we look forward to the challenge of doing that and and, and continuing to serve clients and uh, and add them again. If we don't continue to add value to our clients who are our number one purpose and what we do, then we should cease to exist as a company for what we're doing. Really, really powerful. But I mean, the emotional burden that you must have been carrying during that time, understanding the implications of that lawsuit and just kind of the response that the industry needed in case you didn't win. So I guess my feeling was, was there any doubts during the process where you're like, what are we doing? This is expensive. This is taking up all of my time. Like, is there ever any doubts in the back of your mind thinking like, hey, Alex, like, maybe we should just figure out like a solution or you were like, no, like we're winning this. You know, I, another saying, I don't, I don't know if this saying is appropriate or not, but sometimes wrong, but rarely in doubt. Right. And so, uh, I was shaking his head. <laughs> in that sense, very, very accurate. <laughs> so, uh, but often my wife would probably say often wrong. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but, uh, no, man, I, I I think the stress gets to you at times. I'm human, right? I think everyone is. And so, um, and it was just, the t- again, there was a team. It was just, we, we had it set up so well that, that there was someone else I was emotionally dumping with, right? Working with. And then they were emotionally dumping. And so it's like, it, it, but it would get stopped there. And the rest of it, we sheltered it really well from the day, but we updated them. They knew what was going on, right? And they knew that it wasn't right now. And everything that was going to happen is we need to execute. Everyone knew, like, we need to put your head down. You need to execute. We are rooted in execution. Our business does not exist without having pride around grit and being execute, executed. Everything that we do, that we value, you know, partnerships over transactions. We value hugs over hands. We value, these are some of the core values that we have. And so, like, these are the things that are super important for us, right? Because... And help maintain focus. I think that was the crucial aspect of it. But was it hard and going through that? Did I have any doubts? No, I didn't really have any doubts because if you knew that the if he was on this call, we had the 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 head litigator on. You, you ever meet him? By the way, Kellen, we should go golfing with him because you're an ex- when your arm heals, but loves golfing. And so I'm just saying in general, like he was very resolute on 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 what what the law should do, right, and what it should look like. We just had to trust the law system, which is hard for us. Yeah. And what we all really, (laughs) really, really hard. Let me make that really clear because, you know, more than one time in different past lives is that, excuse my French, but, you know, after sober. So, so, you know, I would normally be F-bombing all over your podcast, by the way. So, but just (laughs) make the explicit if you want. Mindful of that. (laughs) Um, 
Yeah, man. Like there wasn't doubt because it, it, there was no option really. And we all, we already kind of knew to your point, second and third order derivatives of what needed to happen, right? We kind of knew the second order consequence if this happens or if this happens, right? So we kind of knew where and how we would move and how, what we would do strategically. Um, but obviously we're thrilled with the, with the outcome and how it came and where it is and, uh, and what the next stages are, because I think, I think it's important for the industry to know. I think it's important for everybody to know. And ultimately, again, it's a part of our initiative to, to go inform regulatory, some of these other aspects, thought leadership, and, and, and because of our knowledge within it, because I think that's what makes us different, man. It's, we're, we're a cannabis company that's verticalized into the supply chain of, of, of a place like China, right? And uh, whereas it's the other way for other companies, they're all trying to come here. They all just, they all got, they're all trying to figure out ways to become cannabis people, right? Yeah, and, and so crucial too, right? Like what the, what the industry doesn't recognize is that is a win for the industry as a whole at you as a cannabis company taking on a big giant who likely could yeah. be trying to bully you into submission or to just say, hey, listen, Alex, you don't really want this. And instead you said, come get some. Yeah, I mean, they just, they, I don't know if we said it that way. Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, Kakala knows I like a good fight, but it's just like, it's general, um, you know, look, again, Nothing against them in any negative way. Again, I'm grateful for them, right? If they're listening, thank you. All the competitors, thank you as well, right? Because that's the fuel that lights us continually to keep us humble, to know that we got to up our game and make sure that we're always adding more value to customers and what we're doing and that we focus on making sure that we bring the we, we come ready and we're, when, when we're on the field, we're, we're always going to be ready to do battle in that regard, you know? And, and I don't blame them for it because, man, that's, I might argue with the tools that they could have used, but they have a lot of tools, right? And so that was one of the tools that they chose to use. They just were wrong, you know? So we'll see what, but make no mistake about it. They got other tools and they're using them right now. And I'm sure they're going to continue to use more. So, uh, you know, I, it, it's, 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 again, it's, it's a part of the game. Just know what game you're playing. Rooted in execution is a, a saying I've heard you say. What does the cannabis industry miss or not understand about ABD? I don't know because I don't go out and speak on a lot of these things, you know? And so it's like, I, I don't know what they know or they don't know about us. But if they if they didn't, you know, I think what I would want them to know is that we're, we're purpose-driven around not only this plant, but also the value that we add to our customers, right? And I, and I think that that's super important. And what I mean by rooted in execution is like, you can have all the greatest ideas in the world. You can, have, you can even hit the right timing in some of these things. But to do something great, and to be great at it and be proud of it, you have to consistently execute over time, right? A saying, I think one of my mentors says like, you know, doing ordinary things consistently over time creates extraordinary results, right? So it is, it is all about making sure that you're blocking and tackling and executing on a daily basis, right? And so making sure that team knows that, make sure that it's all aligned to where it's going because then you can, it gives you the foundation to maybe go explore this other shiny object or explore this other aspect that could help grow the company or become a creative, right? Or look at another way to solve a problem for a client in a different way that you maybe not have thought about before. But if you can't keep executing, then I'm breaking my promise to you, right? So at the end of the day, what I want the world to know if they don't know about ABD is that like, we care about the plant, we care about people and we do what we're going to say. And when we say we're going to do something, we're going to walk our talk and we're going to execute. It's as simple as that, right? We're not going to agree to doing something with you if we can't do it. 
How does it feel to reflect knowing you've had tremendous amount of influence on a lot of the industry's disruptors, including Kellen, just littered all, all across the space? Well, I don't know if it's littered across the space, but um, look, man, I'm more of a private person when uh, some of this stuff, I know, I know, I know, I know Finney knows that. Look, man, I, I, I'm just grateful for the opportunity, I think, really, to kind of be both the student and the teacher, right? I learned just as much as I try to coach or, or give advice on, and I learned just as much from that from Kellen, I mean, and, and others around us. And there are other people out there that, that we have positively impacted, and they've grown in their career in the space or their appreciation for the plan or appreciation for just life in general and how they're growing as a personal human being and, 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 the, and, and kind of what purpose they have around their business and what they're doing. Look, man, that's, that's, that's what life's about, right? That's where the journey is. Don't, don't, don't forget kind of the, the process that you're kind of going through. And I think sometimes that's hard for me, but I'm just really grateful, really, to be honest, having the opportunity really to, for even people to say that it's kind of weird. I don't know any others in that regard, but I just, I guess I, I really just try to be authentic about, about really being grateful for the opportunity with the plan. And again, I think the best way to surmise it is we're just doing our part in liberating the plant, man. You know, I firmly believe the plant chooses its stewards. I, I think that over the next two, three decades, it's going to impact every walk of life in this world, on this planet. And one way or another, whether it's through a derivative, textiles, chemicals, uh, THC, any other raw cannabinoid or terpenoid, just go down the list of all the different phytochemicals or and or, you know, lignans, fibers, where, wherever you want to go, bioremediators. We could, we could talk about this for days, right? <laughs> CO2 sequestering, like we could, you know. Uh, so I, I just think that it's a really interesting moment in time that we get to all live in and then our kids will live in, right? With the advent of AI and all these other things, but like cannabis being right in the middle of it. And also with psychedelics coming down the line, right? So these are all these are all cool times to live in, I think. And um, I'm just really appreciative, realistically, of the opportunity to have a chance to influence others, right? But that is that is in a lot of ways the purpose, right? That's kind of where I I don't feel like this is work. This is just my life, and it's just been in cannabis for 15, 20 years, you know. Before we do predictions, we ask all of our guests to get some of your experience and a main takeaway or lesson learned to pass onto the next generation. What would it be? Fail fast and fail forward. Don't be afraid to don't be afraid to take think big and take risks. You know, especially if you're young. But don't be afraid to make mistakes and fail fast and fail forward. Learn from them. Right? You either win or you learn. There should be no losing. Prediction time. Alex, the IP battle has just realistically begun. Where else do you see this battle taking place and what can companies do in order to get ahead of it? God, that's such a multi-layered question. That's that's not the easy one to answer. I think everyone has a different idea what IP really means. Whether you're a capital allocator or a fund manager or a guy sitting in the corner trying to invent something or you're a cannabis grower or, <laughs> or you're an extractor, right? Or, or you're an astrophysicist. And <laughs> I think... I think all these different people have a different uh, ideology around what IP is. I think the battle will be fought globally and, and obviously in the U.S. The U.S. is the strongest patent system, right? Trademark and patent system. I think people should educate themselves a bit on what IP really means to them in their specific category because it's not what everybody thinks it is. It's not like, oh, I have this patent and I'm going to make a bunch of money. It's not this patent that does this. It's like there's so many different strategies that kind of go into what 
the validity of a patent is, the enforceability of a patent is, how many you have and what sector you're trying to do and what category, right? It, it's just, there's a lot more nuance within it. And I think that people should educate themselves about it. I think the the battle, it's not just the battle that we're talking about. I mean, the battle on IP has already begun a while ago in GW Pharma trying to go after cannabinoids. Like, Kelly, you know this. Like, there's a litany of science stuff that they're trying to go after, trying to control the chemicals. So, again, that's a whole different category. I, I can't even like my brain is kind of hurting thinking about that. So, again, I, I think it would be I think it would be fought here in the U.S. just because it's the strongest system. Um, but you should be aware of the global patent system and how that works with PCTs, uh, PCTs and kind of different trade treaties that exist in the U.S. And then educate yourself about what it actually means in the category that you're going after. I think it's important for you to just at least have a broad stroke or call someone and talk to them about it. Really well said. Kellen? I mean, I think that the next big like kind of headline grabbing patent battle will most likely be fought in like the pharmaceutical world in terms of like one of these minor cannabinoids, right? Uh, Delta-8 or HHC or something that's not like quote-unquote naturally occurring within the plant, right? That's a, a derivative of CBD or some chemical conversion, Right. It's just, it's an attractive target for big pharma. It fits into their normal kind of playbook of like find a molecule that does a purpose, patent either the molecule or the process to get to the molecule. Right. Um, but I agree with everything else Alex said. I mean, there is just an endless array of different like topics that could be applied to quote unquote cannabis that someone might be able to get a patent around. Right. Like, there's just been an insane amount of patents since day one, right? The, I mean, like, I remember my first time in the cannabis industry, I was like, let's learn CO2 extraction, right? And I pulled up a patent from GW Pharma on 2000, from 2001 about CO2 extraction. And I was like, everyone is doing CO2 extraction. Yeah. And it's already been patented and they're not doing anything about it. So I was like, what does this patent even mean, right? So <laughs> it is it is really hard. Um, that is the other part too, right? There has to right? be... A- Scale where they decide to kind of go after it, right? Yeah. And, and what, what, make Kellen, money. <laughs> what Kellen just said is really important, right? Understanding pharma's processes, why they do it the way they do it. Also, why they also lobby the way that they do, right? This is important because it has to do with their dollars. Follow the money, right? And like that process that Kellen just said, they're funneling their regulatory process into the funnel. So their patent process, right? What you just said, if it's a pathway to that molecule and that molecule has been legalized a specific way and it's the cheapest form of giving a psychoactive ingredient and say a vapor car, like this is what they're doing, right? Like Kellen, as you know, right? Like, like, (laughs) at the pathway, I'm going to patent that pathway. Now everybody has to use that. So if anybody's making uh, THCKF, right? If they're making anything that's, that's, that's making that molecule in that way, Right, they know that they can track it. They can go through that, and they'd be like, you know what? Now you owe us this amount of money. This is sales. This is da 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 da. da. Right, that's the way that they will try to enforce that aspect of it. Um, that's really interesting, right? Because that's a totally different. I, I could see that on the pharma side because you start thinking about the precursors of some of the some of the molecules and kind of how they're synthesizing or adding to be able to get it to a different chain, right? Or I don't know how they're binding or what they're doing with the molecules, Colin. Because I haven't looked into that. I was going to ask you. Some of the stuff that you see in some of the psychoactive changes from like CBD to D. We saw D8 before all these people, remember? A long time ago. Oh, yeah. Uh, on the Pope, right? On the, yeah, on the no, it accidentally think, trying to get like aqua clear, right? Yeah, when you're using aging earth, and it yeah. just converted right over to Delta yeah, 8. Trying to make water <laughs> clear. This was like in 2014. Yeah, was, literally. <laughs> like 2014, 15, we made D8 clear. Like it yeah. was like water clear. We're like, well, this is a different molecule. And we and sent it to like, get tested, and they said it was zero. 
Yeah. I was like, no, it's definitely something, right? Because <laughs> they didn't have Delta-8 in the chromatogram at the analytical facilities. Yeah, so exactly. they didn't know what it was. They didn't know what it was. And then, and then that, that that's what I'm saying. Like a lot of that type of stuff now as it can test it and it's getting more prevalent, right? It's kind of interesting to see that. That's why I remember when I seen this Fautier clip, I just had your, I didn't call you, but I was like, in my mind, I was like, just thinking, I'm like, oh my God, this actually became a thing. I'm I like, can't believe it. I was like, <laughs> that actually TA became a thing is crazy to me, right? Because I was just like, no way. There's no way. And then it was because of the little loopholes and, and hemp rules, right? And laws. And so, look, I, I, I think, um, yeah, sorry. I, I just wanted to touch on that subject to, to what Kellen said. He brought up a really good point about pharma's approach. And I think that's, look, these are games being played. Some of the players on the field playing their games. That's pharma's in there. They're trying to figure that out. That's for sure. So, yeah, I, I think that's important to recognize. I think so much what we hear is like the cannabis industry is operating in the cannabis industry. But when you kind of pull it back, Cannabis industry is just an industry trying to disrupt other industries, which oh, yeah. pharma, oil and gas, tobacco, they're going to fight back and they're going to try to gobble up any market share that they can because this is a, a new world that we are going to more migrate into. And I think one of the things that you said, Alex, really important is, is being proactive and thinking about things three, four steps ahead. And I can only wish so many operators would think about those things. That's kind of, I mean, if you think about it, it's not just a disruption, it's a displacement of these dollars being spent. If you look at tobacco, if you look at booze, pharma, nutraceuticals, these are all trillion-dollar industries. They're going to make a transition with some of the asset, uh, cannabis is an asset class. Okay, I mean, which way you put it, right? It just, when it gets democratized and it gets opened up, it's going to have a whole different litany of, of, of areas that it's going to disrupt because of its, its nature as a, as a, literally the definition of renewable source of energy, right? In a lot of ways, it's going to be able to be a renewable source of some, a lot of these pieces because it's an annual plant. It's also a bioremediator. So it has all these other attributes and what creates 400 plus different diverse chemicals, one of the fastest phenotyping plants in the world, right? So like all these aspects from a chemical makeup perspective, people are just like, are not really understanding why it's so hard to control. And that's why it's having some of these headwinds maybe on the regulatory side. Because if it could have been controlled, I think we would have seen a lot of different changes and a lot of the operators in the space wouldn't be trying to do what we're doing, right? So I think it's a very good, prudent message, right? It's like, it's going to continue to grow. It's going to continue to happen. And it's just educating yourself around some of these things. And that's that's where our fears come from, right? A lot of our fears is, hey, there's some change that someone doesn't know anything about cannabis, knows it from other industries, because we see this all the time. I mean, a great example is when people start doing testing. I remember the, the late night calls out of Kellen talking about just their analytical standards. Okay. It was like, I'm like, well, help me understand this. And so he'd make it into really dumb layman term for me, right? And then he would say stuff and I'm just like, oh, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense, right? And so like, that's a lot of stuff that kind of happens when you have people that are institutionalized, let's say just from like their, 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 their business that they're in, whether they're PhDs or even their, you know, their institutionalized from a finance perspective, right? They just see numbers in a specific way. They don't understand the other intrinsic aspects of value. So kind of just trying to brush over that. I think I think that's the part where it kind of creates confusion on kind of the end part of, of, of what we're talking about, right? Is I don't know, man. I, I just I feel like with with each of these companies as it grows, people should be more prudent and aware of some of these um changes that can come down the line. And people that aren't really understanding that space, that's that they could make a rule change that could really impact kind of access to cannabis and a lot of other companies, you know? 100%, 100%. So Alex, for our listeners, they want to get in touch, they want to learn more about AVD, where can they find you? 
www.avd710.com. So it's Alpha Victor Delta, it's number seven, number one, number zero.com. It's probably the best way, right? I mean, we'll, link we'll link it up in the show notes. Thank you for taking time. This was fun. I appreciate it. Guys, if you've enjoyed this podcast over the last few years, can you please take three minutes or less and leave us a quick review on Apple or Spotify? All reviews make a massive difference for us and help other people like you find this podcast. From the bottom of our hearts, thank you. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Joyce Gerber, the creator and host of the award-winning podcast, The Canna Mom Show. And we are on a mission to enhance the impact women have on this industry as business professionals, healthcare providers, policy advocates, caregivers, moms, by sharing and preserving their stories of love and kindness, wisdom, and hope. I am so grateful to have found my tribe of Canna podcasters right here on PodConnex and look forward to our work of crushing the stigma around cannabis and caregivers and building this new industry together.